This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at GBCPH. And on us today, as we've been making our way through this book, uh, uh, what we, I think, would help you to know is that he, Peter was writing in the first century to churches that were uh, beleaguered, they were oppressed, they were experiencing intense opposition. He refers to their experiences as fiery trials, and that's what we looked at last week. Now, when we come to chapter 5, he addresses the elders or pastors of the church in verses 1 through 4, and once again, the flock in verses 5 through 11. I'm going to read all these verses, but our focus this morning is on those first four verses. Let's hear the word of the Lord. 1 Peter 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Together, amen. Yes. Let's pray for one last moment here. Lord, you are the God who searches hearts. You know every heart in this room. You know our fears. You know our concerns. You know our, our doubts, our struggles, and we ask, God, that you and your mercy towards your people would cause your word to have divine effects in each of our hearts and produce that which each of us need, Lord. We come to you in faith, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Recent surveys that I read done by Barna and by Lifeway concluded <coughs> some interesting things. 38% of pastors seriously considered quitting full-time ministry in 2021, 38%. In 2022, that went up to 42%. And younger pastors were particularly affected. Both, both uh, surveys basically said around 46%. That's almost half 
of pastors under the age of 45 considered quitting the ministry in 2021 and 22. Wow, I mean, God only knows how many, how many did. Uh, now, I realize, uh, beloved, that the impact of the pandemic and the political upheaval upon the church and, and the pastors, that that's a really complex issue. And, and you know, it's not going to be fully explained by one or two surveys. <laughs> we, we get that. But at the same time, I'd have to say uh, there's something to this here. Right? It shows us that it was a really tough patch for a lot of churches and, and in particularly for a lot of pastors or, or elders. And why were those who were considering leaving full-time ministry considering to leave? Well, these were the most common reasons according to the uh, surveys. Uh, Immense stress, feelings of isolation and loneliness, and then the political division in church. Those were the main reasons. So so reading that, I'd have to say, sadly, it seems like the strongest pressure came from within, <laughs> came from within the church. And I think the internal conflict within the churches basically just broke their hearts, and it became too much for many of them. Now, Peter is addressing pastors of churches who are experiencing pressure from outside, primarily, right, this, the early persecution of the church. But Peter knows that Not responding well to outside pressure creates what? Inside pressure, internal problems. And so that's why he's already exhorted them earlier to do what? To love each other earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. And now here in verses 5 through 11, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. And so in between those two exhortations to the, to the entire church, love each other earnestly, be humble with one another, in between those, he addresses the elders or the shepherds, the pastors of the churches directly in verses 1 through 4. Now, the question is, why does he address the pastors? Why, and why at this point? What's the connection in the flow? We know there's a connection. Why? Because he starts with the word so. And so there is a connection in Peter's mind. It's like a mild therefore. Therefore, or so, I exhort the elders among you. So why is he exhorting the elders in these churches? Well, there's, there's several sort of complicated uh, Uh, views that are given. I'm not going to give you all those. I think the most natural reading of the text, the most natural understanding of this text is the fact that the churches are facing intense opposition, and churches that are facing opposition need pastors who will rightly and faithfully continue to do what God has called them to do. That's not time to check out. (laughs) He needs pastors who will remain faithful to the calling that God has given them and embrace it again. In verse 19, he said, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Pastors, that includes you. (laughs) Trust God. He's faithful and stay on point. Keep doing what God's calling you to do. And the fact is that uh, persecution often begins with the leaders of a church. The scripture says, strike the shepherds and the flock will scatter, the sheep will scatter. 
That's been the case throughout church history. It's been the case in, and still is the case in communist nations and Muslim nations. Where, and anywhere that the enemy wants to silence the church and smother the gospel, this, you, wherever you see oppression, it often begins with silencing the loudest voices. Right? Strike the shepherds and the sheep will scatter. And so such, such trials... Uh, when they come upon the church, they test the church. They, remember, they test, they purify. We saw last week, if you were here, that Peter says judgment begins with the household of God. And the, this is the age where God is, uh, is judging his household. In what sense? The judgment of purification, not condemnation. And so if judgment begins with the household of God, purification, it often begins right with the shepherds you see and so these stress tests if you would come upon the church and when these stress tests come upon the church though the world means evil god means good to purify when these stress tests come upon the church the churches need shepherds who will embrace the nature of their calling who will embrace the motive of their calling and will embrace uh, also the manner of their calling will remain true and faithful. And so that's what he's doing here, I think. That's why I think he addresses them specifically at this point in, in the letter. And, and much of what Peter says here to the elders is absolutely true for anyone who serves the body of Christ in any ministry, and especially of those of you who lead ministries or would like to lead ministries. Uh, there's much here for you to hear as well. So let's look at those, beloved. Let's look at uh, what oppressed churches need most from their elders. Now, I say oppressed churches because that's the context here. But all churches need the very same thing. In other words, uh, all churches at all times need their, their, their elders, their leaders to, to be like this. So what do they need? They need shepherds, first of all, who embrace the nature of their calling. What are they called to do? Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. That's the, that is the nature of their calling. Now, before I dive into it, let me just, I want to make two asides here, two little side points. First of all, I want to draw your attention for some of you, maybe for the first time to think about this. Please notice that he says elders, plural. I know a lot of you who are part of the church already understand this, but there are newer folks in our church. Elders, plural. Over and over the New Testament, when it addresses the, the leadership of local churches, it does so in the plural. Elders, plural. Overseers, plural. All the time. This is the pattern of the New Testament church. And the New Testament churches were guided, they were cared for by godly men, a plurality of godly qualified men. In Acts 14, 23, it says that Paul and Barnabas went about appointing elders in all of the churches, plural, in the various cities. In Acts 20, 17, Paul uh, called the elders of the church from Ephesus to speak with them. In Titus 1.5, appoint elders. In Philippians 1, and Paul writes to the elders. I could go on and on. I won't, right? Elders, elders, plural, over and over. This is the New Testament pattern, a plurality of godly men, and they're referred to with various titles, elders, pastors, overseers, some translation bishops, but they're always 
nearly always in the plural. And so each of those titles, elders, overseers, and pastors, they're all referring to the same office, the same individual. Uh, the New Testament uses different terms to describe what shepherds do from different angles, different perspectives, right? They shepherd, they oversee, and so forth. So that's why you see that. So that's the first aside I just want to draw your attention to. Because I know for many of you, maybe this is different. That's not the case in, in, all, in all traditions. And I think, having, been a, having experienced the benefit of plurality of, of elders my entire ministry life, that that is a great blessing. It's the wisdom of God. It's a, I think it's a foolish thing to put all authority in one individual. <laughs> you know, and, and so there are various reasons. I won't go on to that. That's not the point of the message. But that's one right there, okay? And the other aside is I want to draw your attention to the fact that Peter, Peter, and the way he, he speaks to these pastors, he himself is an illustration, an example of the very things he's telling them to do as he writes to them. What do I mean? He says to them later on, we'll, we'll get to that later, but he says to them not to be domineering, but to be an example. And how does he address them? He says, I exhort the elders among you. He doesn't say, I command the elders among you. <laughs> Could he say that? Absolutely. He is an apostle. In fact, he, he notes that he himself is an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. He's emphasizing there uh, his authority, but he doesn't speak to them in that manner. He modestly addresses them with a very sympathetic sort of tone. He says, I'm a fellow elder. A fellow elder. He doesn't even say I'm an apostle. When he says I'm a fellow elder, what's he saying? I know what you're going through. I'm shepherding up here in Jerusalem. I understand what you're experiencing there, he says. So it's very sympathetic. He doesn't pull rank on them, in other words, even as he seeks to, to help them and benefit and he, he, he says also that he's motivated by the same motivation he wants them to be motivated by, for he says that he himself, he is a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. In other words, I am on the same road that you are. <laughs> I'm on that same journey, suffering now, glory later. <laughs> and so he talks to them in that way. So th those are two asides I just want to point out, right, that elders... A plurality. Secondly, Peter himself is a great model of what he's talking about here. If we want an example, it's right there, <laughs> right in the text itself. And so the first thing is that uh, uh, churches that are being oppressed need elders who embrace the nature of their calling. What is the task that they're called to? Shepherd the flock of God. And that's a familiar picture in the ancient world, in the ancient Palestine. It's a familiar Bible picture, isn't it? A shepherd and a bunch of sheep. <laughs> On the hills, a shepherd with his sheep. We're all, we're all familiar with this. To shepherd is to pastor. That's the, the meaning of the, uh, the translation of the very same word. In fact, when Paul called for the elders of the church at Ephesus, it's recorded in Acts 20, he tells them to shepherd the flock of, of God there. Now, I'm going to turn there, and if you, if you wanted to, you could, because the, here you'll also see that this reinforces that first point I made about elders, plural. And so in Acts chapter 20, 
in verse 28, he says to the, remember, he called the elders, plural. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves, elders, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So elders are the overseers to care. That's the verb. To shepherd, to pastor. That's the verb. So the elders are the overseers who pastor, who shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so what is the task of elders? If one word were to be chosen, we'd say, well, shepherd, to shepherd, right? That's what a a pastor does, to shepherd. And who is our model when we all look to a model for a, a good shepherd? Well, it would be our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know in, in uh, John chapter 10 that he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? He doesn't run when the thief comes, the enemy comes. The good shepherd stays. He defends. What's the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep, he says. And in this, Jesus is taking up in himself, Jesus is taking up in himself the good shepherd of Psalm 23, who is the Lord. The Lord himself, and I know most of you, you're familiar with that, but picture this. Listen to it carefully. The Lord is my shepherd, says David, a shepherd, right? And because the Lord is my shepherd, he said, I shall not want. I won't lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He brings me, in other words, to places that are safe and fruitful, A great place to lie down for sheep is green pastures, not dry old dirty things. He leads me beside still waters, calm waters, safe to drink from. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, for his glory. And what about trouble? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Always, you see. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. You prepare a table before me in the very presence of my enemies, you see. And so the model for shepherds, the pastors, is the good shepherd. The good shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. The good shepherd feeds, he leads, he provides, and he protects that's Psalm 23. That's Christ the Good Shepherd. He feeds, He leads, He, he provides, He protects. And if we were to choose uh, the, the main verb out of those four, I would say it's feeding because the others flow out of it in a very natural way. It is feeding the flock of God on the truth of the Word of God because it is the truth of the Word of God that nourishes them and leads them and protects them from false... Uh, Uh, false teaching and errors and going off the path. So the main call is to shepherd. The main way uh, to shepherd is to feed, to nourish the flock on the word of God. And Peter uh, didn't come up with this. (laughs) I think this was deeply ingrained in Peter's own heart. So much of of what Peter's written here, I always hear in my head, conversations he had with Jesus and experiences he had with Jesus. And I'll share two today. This is the first one. On a beach, Jesus prepared breakfast for Peter. Peter had breakfast with Jesus. Picture that, huh? (laughs) He has breakfast with Jesus. And you remember there, 
He restored him when he asked him three times because he had denied him three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? But I'm not going to focus that. I'm focusing on what he told Peter to be doing then. So if you love me, first thing he said uh, was what? Feed my sheep. But actually the terms in that very first one was to feed or lead to pasture my lambs. He uses a word that refers to the little ones. So lead to pasture like the good shepherd who? The young ones, the little ones the newer Christians. And then he asked him again, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Well, then guide or tend my sheep, the older ones. Guide, oversee, tend my sheep, the older ones. And he asked him again the third time, do you love me? And he said, yeah. Well, then back to the first word, feed my sheep now, all of them. So care for the sheep, care for the lambs, feed, guide, feed, feed, feed. Three times Peter was told that. And now Peter, he, he writes to the pastor and he says you shepherd now you shepherd the flock of God my sheep said Jesus right you shepherd the flock of God that is among you and so the main way that shepherds um, care for the flock is they feed them they nourish them on the word of God to protect to provide to guide to illumine in Acts 20, 32, when Paul was saying goodbye to those elders he called, he said, I commend you now. He, they're tearfully, they're, they're leaving, and he says, I commend you now to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to what bring you to the inheritance amongst those who have been sanctified. In other words, I'm giving to you what you should give to others. What is it? The word of God's grace, the word of the gospel, the good news of how we are saved, justified, sanctified, and grow in Christ Jesus. I'm giving you that word. That will build you up. And then we hear, now you give that word to others. <laughs> build them up. So that is that main responsibility. And then Peter says, exercising oversight. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. That may, that may be, it's hard to say for sure, whether that's how you shepherd, by exercising oversight, or as many see them, it's two responsibilities. You shepherd and you exercise oversight. Either way, what does it mean to exercise oversight? It means to guide from a, a high view, exercise direction from above. It's like the shepherd, at one point, he climbs onto a mountaintop, and he has to look. He has to go out. He has to see. Uh, where, what's the direction? Where's the, what's the best way to go? You know? A lot of you guys don't know, because some of you didn't even meet my dad. He died now some time ago, but that my dad was a real shepherd boy. I mean, a real one, right? <laughs> and he, uh, he, he, he took sheep to the top of a mountain, in the mountainous area of Italy, Abruzzo. And I've been there, I've been on that mountain. And one year when the whole family went, he took Michael up to that very point where he would sit as a little boy. And sometimes when, whenever sheep and pasturing would come up in the, in the text while dad was alive, I knew I'd hear about it at lunch, you know. Because <laughs> dad would say, you know what sheep really do? <laughs> this is what sheep really do, and we'd talk about it. Well, here's one of those images and I keep having my dad on mine on that mountaintop deciding what's the best route this year to go down. What's the best way to get to that pasture that's up there? So this is exercising oversight. I pictured this. If you want to know what it looks like, well, this is the elder meetings. 
the elder meetings and the annual prayer and planning. That's sort of the high, that's sort of the, what are we doing this fall? What's going on? What ministries are not healthy? Let's pray for them. What's the, what direction should we take? That's the oversight aspect of the ministry. And who, who is the object? It is it, it's obvious, but we should reflect on it. The flock of God among you. He says, my sheep, said Jesus. Feed my sheep. And that's a very good thing to remember, particularly for pastors, for elders. Uh, the, the church is not ours. You don't belong to me. You belong to Christ. He is your chief shepherd. And I am just an under-shepherd. So are all the elders here. And so that's something that we try to remember. And this little word, flock of God, is in the diminutive in the Greek. In other words, little flock, or we might say today, precious little flock. We might translate it that way. What's that, what's that accentuate? I think that accentuates how much God loves you, <laughs> how important you are. You are his precious little flock. And so he said, you shepherd my flock, my precious ones, the ones he purchased with his blood. Scripture says the Son of God came to purchase with blood a people for God's own possession. Right? I lay down my, my life for the sheep. Acts 20, uh, Paul says that, that they are to be overseers of the flock of God which he purchased with his own blood. That's, that's how precious the flock of God is to him. Now, when he says the, the f- flock of God in your charge, I think he's talking about the, the fact that he's writing the various churches. Remember, he addresses churches in several cities. He says, you shepherd those whom God has allotted to you. You know, these are the, these are the sheep that God's allotted to you. They've been placed in your charge. Well, you care for them. And again, someone says, well, that sounds, again, isn't that a bit obvious? Who, who else are they going to care for? Ah, oh, but don't, don't, don't uh, go so fast here. Particularly in our context here in the days of celebrityism, it is amazing to me how many pastors that I personally know who are more concerned uh, about their next move. Like the, ch- like the church, pastoring is a career and they work more on developing their own brand and they stay in a church for two to three years to develop their, quote, their brand, their website, their, their ministry, which isn't caring for these people. It's becoming some sort of spokesperson or something. And they hop three years there, two years there, four years here. Take care of the flock of God which he has placed in your hands. Look down, right there. They're the ones, not your career. And so that's a word that I think definitely needs to be remembered today. I praise God. That's the kind of men we have among us right here. Brothers who are not uh, interested in developing their own brand and moving along, but interested in caring for those that God has allotted to us. And notice also, these are the among you sheep, not the below you sheep. 
the among you sheep. So not only do shepherds lead from the hilltop looking where, what's ahead, but at some point they got to climb right back down from the rock up there, the high place, come right back down, get down to where those sheep are and start smelling like sheep because they are rubbing shoulders, they are finding out who is where and you know, looking for the sick ones to help heal, looking for the broken to help mend, looking for the confused to help instruct and guide and so forth, right? And so that's the balance, okay? Uh, oppressed churches especially, but all churches always need elders, shepherds who will embrace the nature of their calling, which is to shepherd the flock of God among them, exercising oversight. Secondly, they need to embrace the, the manner of their calling. In other words, ministry needs to be done in the right way, right? In a certain manner. There, there's a right way, a good, healthy way to exercise oversight, and there is a not-so-healthy, wrong way to shepherd and exercise oversight. And so Peter he lists three very strong contrasts, real emphatic contrasts. That's how they're structured in the original language. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly. Strong, strong contrast. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, you see. And not domineering, but being examples. Very strong, very emphatic. Willingly, eagerly in an exemplary way. And I could tell you that one of the reasons he lays this out, it's not only because the church needs it, but because it's a great temptation. It's a great temptation to what? To only serve under compulsion? To only serve for some kind of gain? To only serve in an autocratic, domineering way? And so he says, no. Let's look at each of those contrasts briefly. First of all, not under compulsion. The church needs elders who care for their flock, not out of sheer duty, but willingly, joyfully, who delight in the task. The churches need elders who are not dragged into this or forced into it, or in some cases voted into it. You know, hey, it's you. <laughs> They need, the church needs shepherds who are not moved in that way. And you'll say, but isn't there compulsion? Doesn't Paul himself say, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel and the love of Christ compels me? He says, yes, but he is talking about the inner compulsion of God, the Holy Spirit. Peter is talking negatively about other forms of compulsion. The compulsion of the fear of man. The compulsion of pride. The compulsion of sheer duty because you're not operating under the gospel. You're operating under law. And these are all wrong sort of uh, sources of energy and desire. And so we, we need, all churches need elders, pastors who gladly shepherd the flock of God because God has called them, not grudgingly or ambitious for power or some sort of notoriety, right? 
And if they, if they are compelled by other things, they're going to they're gonna give up at some point because the vast majority of ministry, to put it bluntly, is just shoveling the muck. <laughs> it's cleaning the stalls. It's fixing problems, you see. And if you were compelled by what? Some, I want to be the man. <laughs> what, you're, you're crazy. You know, you're not going to last. You know, and so he says we need people who understand uh, that that. The call comes from God, and there should be a delight in doing this that God has called you. Uh, You see, in Acts 20, Paul said to those elders, what do you say? The Holy Spirit has made you overseers, right? Shepherd the flock of God, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The church doesn't make elders or pastors. We affirm them. The Holy Spirit makes them. You say, what do you mean the Holy Spirit makes them? I mean, he makes them grow just like you, all of us grow. But you see, the desire to love a brother or sister and care for them, what is that? That's Christian love. That's the sanctification That's uh, of the Holy Spirit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So God makes individuals grow through the Spirit and his word. And in some, as they grow, that growth becomes visible to others and the church affirm you see elders are those who are doing what shepherds all, all what shepherds do and they're doing it already without the title and they do it without the title because it's just what it's the product of the holy spirit the holy spirit has made you an overseer why because he grew you just like he grows everybody else but in you he also gave a love for others that has made you willing to sacrifice, to open your home, spend time with people. And so when the church affirms an elder, affirms a pastor, it should be, well, yeah, yeah, obviously, what? Well, the way he talks to me with the word, he's counseled me, the way he's cared for me, he's loved me. You know, this, was, this wasn't some, some, you know, pulling a name out of a hat. <laughs> and so he said, if, if you understand that, you understand that we should serve joyfully, willingly, because we weren't, pushed into this and secondly not for shameful gain but eagerly see some some serve willingly praise God but for the wrong reason (laughs) yes I'm willing to do it I feel there's a desire to do it for what reason Uh, for the wrong reason one wrong reason would be what this the next point the next one is power domination right but the wrong reason he gives here is shameful gain what's he getting at what do you mean shameful gain well it's 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 it is it is some sort of material gain that is accomplished in a shameful way in a wrong way you know paul taught that it was proper for some elders to be supported financially for their work uh, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching he says in first timothy 5 and, but that's not what peter's talking about he's talking about motivation some want to be elders so that they may gain something material in a shameful way a wrong way what might he be talking about well how about judas huh what did he do he put his hand in the box <laughs> He put his hand in the till. He took the money that was being collected for the poor. Embezzlement. Has anyone ever done, uh, been embezzled, uh, embezzlement in the church? Was, uh, yeah. Just Google it. 
you'll see it. These are the charlatans, right? The, the, the thieves. Um, in the New Testament, false teachers were repeatedly indicted for what? Their love for money. False teachers, love for money. Huh, the two go together. <laughs> and that's why 1 Timothy 3, one of the qualifications for an elder is what? Free from the love of money. Because the false teachers are not. <laughs> they have a love for money that makes them twist things, you see. And so the last, uh, the last contrast is not domineering over, but being examples. This can be a more subtle sort of thing because it could be a lot more subtle temptation. Um, so let's talk about it this way. Sheep are led, right? They are led. They are not driven like cattle. The shepherd walks in front with a staff. He's not in back of them like a cowboy on a horse with a whip, right? Driving. He is in front of them, leading walking and he leads by example because he walks where he wants them to walk he feeds where he asks them to feed he drinks from where he asks them to drink and so forth and so sheep are led they are not driven they're not controlled they're not to be dominated they're not to be lorded over nor commanded in that sort of way you know now, you know, it's true that Paul uses some strong words, doesn't he, when you read the New Testament? Yeah, absolutely. Didn't, uh, Paul says to Timothy, to Timothy, he says, listen, reprove, rebuke, exhort. <laughs> but then he goes on to say what? With complete patience. <sighs> complete patience and instruction. And instruction. In fact, before that, what do you say to them? Preach the word, preach the word. And when you do, you will reprove, you'll exhort, because that's in the word. But you, as far as you, you do that with what? Great patience and with instruction. Give them an understanding, right? You see, authority, authority doesn't really lie in the individual. All authority is delegated from Christ. He is the chief shepherd, and the authority that the, that the pastors have is in the text. This is the, te this is the one that commands. You see, this, and as long as this is accurate, all, all pastors should be saying is putting this between themselves and, and, and the sheep and saying, hey, I'm not saying this. He's saying this. Look what he says. I'm pleading with you. But this is what the Lord says. You see. And so this is the authority it's not in the individual. You say, but isn't there authority in the office? Apostles had authority. Don't, don't pastors have authorities? Yes, they do. But that is a derived authority, derived from this very text, because he goes on to say, those who are young, submit to your elders and so forth. But it's an authority that has to be exercised in an understanding and gentle way, not in a domineering, commanding way, Right? And that's what I mean by it's a very subtle temptation because I understand the temptation. Here's the temptation. You, you appeal to people. You plead with them. You show them the word. You keep going. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. And you're right on the end to saying, you know what? I'm about to use the word command here. <laughs> but you got to stop short. You got to stop short. 
And again, I say Peter exemplifies himself. You know what I think? Another experience he, uh, he himself exemplifies this. You know what I think is another experience he had in the back of his mind when he's writing these elders? There's so many, but I can picture Peter as he's writing and, he's, and, uh, and, and, and the secretary's taking the notes. And Where'd you get that, Peter? Oh, one day we had the nerve to ask Jesus who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Oh, gosh. And he said, well, what happened? What did Jesus say when you guys said, which one of us is going to be the greatest? Here's what Jesus said to him, Mark 40, 10, 42. Jesus called them, to him, called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them but it shall not be so among you but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be the slave the bondservant of all and if you doubt that's the case even the son of man he says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his very life as a ransom for many. Remember, we said many times, the way up in the kingdom of God is what? Down. <laughs> the way up is the downstairs escalator of the servant. And so shepherds are servants, servant leaders. Servant shepherds, right? Not domineering, not demanding, not commanding. Um, Paul himself, even as strong as Paul speaks sometimes, and, and sometimes he, he does exercise his apostolic authority, even though like in the Corinthian writings, remember he says, man, I'm embarrassed to do this, and, but I will do it because apparently you need it, and he would just go right on. But you see how slow he was? And then in dealing with this one man, Philemon, in the book of Philemon, Philemon, you remember the story? A slave ran away. His name was Onesimus. He, came, he ran into Paul. Paul led him to Christ. Paul thinks he should go back to Philemon, but he wants Philemon to treat him rightly, even though he ran away, because now he's a Christian. Now he's his brother. And here's how Paul instructs Philemon in verse 8. There's only one chapter, so Philemon, verse 8, he says, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. In verse 14, the lower, he says, I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion. The compulsion of apostolic authority forced on him. He said, I didn't want it to be by compulsion, but by your own accord. Isn't that beautiful? For the sake of love, I appeal. I want your obedience to not be because you were driven towards it, 
but out of your own heart, your own love, your own accord. So, and therefore, I appeal to you. I appeal to you from the scriptures. I appeal to you from example. But I don't commend you. And that's a great temptation. Why? Because appealing doesn't always move things along as fast as commanding. <laughs> appealing can be what? Slow and messy. This is not some, you know, mega corporation here. Appealing means trying to win people's hearts to do what they, are, they should do out of love. Love for Christ because he loved you. And so it gets, it gets messy, it gets slow. So. And I praise God, I've had the fellowship, the friendship of pastors for long periods of time that, that are like this. But you keep praying for your elders and pray for those who might become elders here that they would be free from each of these pitfalls here, okay? And lastly, the elders must embrace the motive for their calling. In other words, why persevere? Why carry on? Especially, why do it when the world's coming down, right? When here comes the pressure, remember, 50, almost 50% of pastors under 45 Thought about leaving. No. Why continue? Well, there's a lot of motivations. A lot of reasons to continue. I mean, not the least of which for me would be because I've seen others continue, you know, others who loved me when I was a little young Christian brat, you know, <laughs> mixing everything up and confusing things. And, and so, I, I, yeah, that's a motivation for me. But Peter only appeals to one motivation here, and that is what? Verse 4. This is the motive he gives them. The same one he's been giving to the church. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See, that's why you should hang in there, pastors, you see. Yeah. Why serve faithfully? Because the true reward was never designed to come in this life. Sure, there's blessings in this life. There's always blessings in serving Christ in this life. Is there not? Absolutely. But it's always a mixture. It's an admixture of problems and the muck and all the other things, you see. And so the real reward comes in the end. And so he lifts their eyes up too, you know, when the chief shepherd appears. So let's look at the giver of the reward, the timing of the reward briefly here, and the nature of the reward. Who's the giver? The chief shepherd, Christ. He is the good shepherd in John 10. He is the shepherd of Psalm 23. Hebrews 13, 20 refers to Christ as the great shepherd shepherd of the sheep who was raised from the dead. In 1 Peter 2.25, a few chapters earlier, he is the shepherd and guardian of our souls. And here he says he's the chief shepherd. The arch shepherd is what that word means. The shepherd over all the other shepherds. <laughs> like the archbishop and so forth. And so this is a this is touching on two things, authority and relationship. Chief shepherd, authority, meaning he's the one who dictates how ministry should be done. We don't have the right to teach whatever we would like to teach. We have to teach what Jesus says we are to teach. And we're always safe when we do that. 
We, we, we aren't free to have our own philosophy of ministry. We must do ministry how he tells us to do ministry. Even if we say, boy, that's slow. Well, that's, a, that's, that's the way it's meant to be. <laughs> but that's, that, that's difficult. Well, yeah. So authority and we are all, uh, pastors are all what? Under shepherds. There's only one shepherd, right? chief shepherd. And that is the Lord Jesus, it's also a term about, about relationship, right? Not just authority, but relationship. We are under shepherds to him, and he shepherds us. He shepherds the shepherd. Who cares for the shepherd? The chief shepherd. He cares for the flock. He cares for the shepherds, the under shepherds of the flock. Because why? Because he's the chief shepherd. See, pastors are both sheep and shepherds. We're sheep to the chief shepherd. And so he's concerned about us as well, right? It's a good place to remind ourselves of something else that comes up in John 10, the chapter of the good shepherd, shepherd, sorry, uh, in in John chapter 10. In that chapter, Jesus also makes this point that ultimately, Jesus says, there is one flock. Well, I got sheep from other folds, but there's gonna be, you see, there's one flock and there is one chief shepherd. And that is Christ. One church, Christ, the one chief shepherd. One people of God, ultimately. One what? One chief shepherd over the people of God. So he is the one giving the reward. What is the timing of his reward? When he, is, when he appears. Literally, remember what that means? When he is made visible. Which implies what? Which implies that he's always near us, but he's just not visible to us. But there'll be a day when he will be made visible suddenly in the second coming. Made visible to be who he is as the arch shepherd, which is what he will be, the the God-man who died for our sins and rose and has ascended and is seated at the right hand of God Almighty with all authority and power. He is the Lord of the nations, you see. And he is always near. That's why he says in chapter 1, though you do not see him, yet you love him. He's always near but not visible to us. What did Jesus say? Make disciples of all nations. Lo, I am with you always. I'm near to you. Even to the very end of this age. He's close to the church. He's close to the under shepherds. Always watching over us. Always caring for us. And this, you know, this title for him is one of the most deeply encouraging titles of Christ for me personally because it's what lets me sleep at night. Because so much ministry, so much of ministry is absolutely out of our control. (laughs) And a lot of it should be out of our control in the sense that we're not supposed to domineer. And the results of ministry are entirely out of our control. It's the grace of God, right, that brings people to faith like you those you saw who were baptized last week that's the work of God and so we don't seek to manipulate or command people to do this or do that or stay or go God's in charge of all that they don't you don't belong to us you belong to the chief shepherd and when people come and go I always say I've said it to you all God knows what he's doing He's on a much higher perch overlooking the entire church. You know. you know, the biggest hill we got is Mount Diablo. So that's not very high. 
Where is he? He's at the right hand of Father Almighty. And so he brings his sheep. He takes them. He does what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And we can sleep at night knowing that we're just under shepherds. You think of your own ministry like that. Any ministry you lead, you say, I can't see ahead. Some of you are like ultra planners, you know. And you, you, know, you, got, you got charts for everything. And God messes up your charts, doesn't he? Don't worry. He knows what he's doing. And what is the substance of this reward? He says you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Literally, the crown which is glory. In other words, the crown is the metaphor. It's a symbol. The reality is what? Glory. That's what you're going to receive. Why does he use the symbol crown of glory? Because that's something they would have understood easily. You know, the, the victors in athletic events or the victors in military campaigns were often given crowns. They didn't give trophies. They gave crowns, and often those crowns were made of leaves. They were fading crowns. You know, they hung them up next to their togas, and eventually those leaves would start falling down, and then finally just throw it out. It's a fading crown, you see. But he says, the, the crown which you will receive for remaining faithful to God's call in your life is the crown which is glory. This is resurrection glory. It belongs to Christ. It's his to give. He will give it. And there will be some element of reward that acknowledges the ministry when his glory is revealed and you share in it, you see. That's what he's saying. There's other crowns that people seek to be victors for. That not leaves, but crown of wealth, crown of power crown of influence, crown of status, crown of recognition. And so not all of those maybe are bad achievements if God gave you gifts, but guess what? Every one of those are fading. And they'll crumble. But there's an unfading crown, victor's reward, which is glory. Seeing and sharing in the glory of the resurrected Christ in the second coming when he comes to rule the nations. And so he wants the pastors to stay true with this vision, to see that, to persevere, to keep going. You know, he uses this, this imagery. He's saying, stay at it because victory's guaranteed. There is a crown, a crown awaiting you at the end of all this. And it does not depend upon you. It depends upon his appearance. And he will appear. And when he appears... There will be reward. So you stay true, he says. You keep. You keep at it. Keep at it. All the labors and the of pastoral ministry, all the hours, all the sacrifices, all the hardships of serving God's people, every single thing, they will be fully recognized and rewarded by the chief shepherd himself in the second coming. We're not told exactly, well, how would it be that the glory shared in will be any different than the glory that every believer receives? I don't know. He does not tell us this. But he doesn't manipulate us either, does he? Tells us the truth. 
You know, the truth is no pastor has ever perfectly shepherded those given to him, those entrusted to him. And no plurality, no eldership has ever perfectly shepherded those who have been entrusted to him. But there will still be reward. Why? Because such is the grace of God. Such is the grace of God that he not only saves by grace, he, what, rewards by grace. <laughs> Who is sufficient for these, you know? Who endures faithfully day in and day out? Only the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. And nevertheless, by his grace, he has reached down to save you and me and save shepherds. And by his grace, he'll reward even the most feeble efforts because he's such a gracious God. That's why. He's gracious. Just like um, my friend and well-known you know, author, of biblical eldership, Alex Strauch, would say, he says, I remember this, he says, Jesus will be no man's debtor. Smallest thing, the smallest card, the smallest phone call, the smallest few minutes, the smallest encouragement, just like a small glass of water, whatever you've done, for the sake of his name, he will reward and acknowledge. He will be no man's debtor. And beloved, lest you think this is only for pastors, like I said, it's primarily here, but that is the same, the same reality that applies to the entire church. Peter's just now focusing in on the pastors. What did he tell us in chapter one? The whole church, keep going. There's, you have an inheritance that's imperishable. It's, it's being kept for you in heaven. And in verse 10 here in chapter 5, he goes back to the whole church. After you, church, have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you, you, just like the pastors, to his eternal glory. And so I'm telling all of you, however you serve in the church or where you will serve, if you lead a ministry, you serve in a ministry, the ultimate reward, the final satisfaction does not come from people acknowledging you in the here and now. There are many blessings in the here and now. But listen, unless you gain this divine perspective, we're right back at the same thing we've been at before. Unless elders gain this divine perspective, you just won't keep going. You won't hang on. You'll fall apart. But you remember, this life short, it will be done. And he will remember every single deed you ever did in his name. And he will reward it. He will acknowledge it. So gracious is our Savior. You doubt that? You listen to Hebrews 6.10. This is to the, every believer, every Christian. God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Let me say that again to you. God's not unjust. He will not overlook anything you ever do in his name to express love to another saint. So keep at it. Excel still more. And I praise God again for the pastors and the partnerships we've had for all these years. 30 with this guy right here. 30 years with Chris and how long people have stayed together. Pray for your elders. Pray for your deacons and deaconesses and pray for your ministry leaders to embrace what? Embrace their calling, to embrace the manner of the calling, not to fall in those pitfalls and to be motivated by eternal reward, not by 
not by how well it goes here, but by what's coming. Let's pray.